Okay, uh, today we are going to have a show. We have a special guest today, Janice Mora. Um, before we get into that, uh, we wanted to do a, little, a quick little episode or a quick little segment on uh, just what's been happening. Uh, we're going to do that every week um, or every episode that we record, and it'll be uh, it'll be something that uh, any one of the cast members might be asked for, you know, to give a little update on what's been going on. So I'm going to start, and um, what's been going on with us in the past couple of weeks, uh, two big things in the real estate world. Uh, we sold a house in Florida and we are trying to figure out how to uh, offset the taxes or defer the taxes by doing a 1031 exchange, uh, which means we'd have to buy something else um, within 45 days, or at least identify that thing in 45 days um, to defer the capital gains taxes. So um, when you sell a property, uh, you're gonna pay capital gains on, on whatever the change is and the value that you, um, from where you bought it. Unless which, it's your primary residence, right? Unless then it's your primary. you get a portion of that tax waived. Right. You get a $250,000 waiver on the gains uh, if it's your primary residence per person if you're married. Um, in this case, it was not our primary residence, so we'd have to pay about $20,000 in taxes. So we were looking to find another place uh, to buy um, to, to theoretically defer that to some other time in the future. Uh, the markets today aren't that great. Uh, prices are still high. Interest rates are higher. Um, so we haven't found anything yet, um, and we may just have to suck it up and pay for it. Um, but that's what we've been doing um, for the past couple of weeks, um, doing a lot of research, spending a lot of time. Uh, we went to visit a place today uh, just to see what it was like out in Hillsborough near Adam's house. Um, but so far, right, we haven't identified the perfect thing. Um, so I don't know if you guys, have, Adam, you have done this? Have you done an exchange? Yeah, we, we did a, a 1031. Okay. Successfully. Um, and successfully, it's not, right? It's not too difficult. It's just a little bit of paperwork and typically there's an intermediary that provides the service that you use you know they'll take a little cut maybe 1500 bucks or so mm -hmm. but if you're looking at saving 20k or 50k on the transaction it's well worth it exactly and johnny you've done this as well yep, right? same thing mine was a thousand dollars they charged and paperwork they took care of it entirely actually yeah don't you feel like you're in an endless loop though? Like every time you want to get rid of a house, you have to buy another house? And don't you want to just end it at some point? <laughs> well, that's part of the plan. You have to have a plan for when you decide to do that. Well, what you can do to, to permanently avoid it, and jump in, correct me if I'm wrong, but on the, the last one you purchase, you make that one be your primary residence, mm -hmm. and then you're out of the loop. Now, the trick is for the first two years, you would need to rent it or put it on the market to be rented. But then if you move into it, make it your primary residence, uh, you're never paying taxes on it. Yeah, or at least you're getting a big deferment right. or a big uh, tax abatement from the from the uh, Right, from the, the amount you can exclude, yeah. right. So yeah, the bottom line is, you may not have the plan today, but if you're trying to work out the end of the plan, you gotta somehow either just suck it up and pay the taxes or move in, like Adam said, and right. make it your primary and get a big <clears> deduction <throat> and, then, and then try to cut the loop and get out. Um, but in the meantime, right, it's, a, it's, it's like your 401k, right? I'm going to pay the taxes later is really what you're saying, right? It's the same thing, right? So uh, it all helps out. So that's, um, that's one of the things that we've been doing. Um, and look, it takes some time, right? It's just researching. It's looking on Zillow. It's talking to realtors. It's, you know, it's making phone calls. Um, but, you know, it's like a job, right? It's like it's, it's doing work. Um, so um, Wade's been doing a lot. I've been doing a lot. And um, but it's for yourself. Right. It's, it's not for the man. It's for yeah, us. Yeah, but yeah. I have to say, though, if uh, Ray and I were in the car and one of the plans I hope is unfolding with the retirement people is that making a, a chart, an if-then chart, and then 
all the information that they're gathering that we found out is just going to go on this chart for these kids to be able to say, if I'm going to do this and it's a 1031, then it goes down this way and it teaches. So we're trying to keep or get the knowledge put into That's right. some type of platform so that everyone could then answer that question like what you said. So somewhere along that says, hey, you're doing this because you're deferring 50 grand. That 50 grand gives you this amount of leverage. For that 50 grand, you paid $1,000 for this 1031 and maybe a little bit more to your accountant because they're gonna look at your, your like, oh shoot, you sold a house, but you did this. You know, it may, they may charge you a little more, but I think the biggest thing is how do we document every time we go through something, it sort of just stays within the person and we don't put it somewhere. I wanna be able to put this information somewhere where it's easily read and that, understood. That sounds like a great plan. I would just say it can get very, very complex and it's going to need to be a live document, right? Because think, the rules change. I think Excel could do it. I think Excel could do it. And also embedding uh, the AI chat section of it, it just, it's constantly checking up and it, and it just corrects it as time progresses. We have to use the technology. But I yeah. think for, especially for the younger kids, they, they have, if they have that little roadmap, just makes the decision making almost black and yeah. white. Yeah. And that, that would only be available to our first uh, 100,000 listeners too, I think. <laughs> um, after, after that, you know, it, it, it's, it's gonna, you're gonna pay what it's worth. Yeah, at least a dollar <laughs> 99. A yeah. At least a dollar yeah. 99. So yeah, I think, um, I don't know what that's gonna look like yet. We're trying to get everything out of our brains and onto paper, but a lot of it is just stumbling and, and having experiences, right? Like, so a lot of people you talk to would say, I've never heard of a 1031, right? So many people have sold houses and didn't know they could do that, right? And we didn't know we could do that until three years ago, right? So um, getting, even just getting it all a, a list, even if it's a non-functional list, say, don't forget about this, think about this, don't forget about that, will be a big help and a big, a, a good head start for everybody, right? To have a checklist, so working on it. So that's what's been going on with us. So that's just an absolutely perfect lead-in to our, our, our guest, oh, right? Oh, absolutely. Actually, it's about, it's about the, the <laughs> it's sharpest a, 180 we've ever yes. made, I think. So we, we are going to do a 180. So, um, so let's try this out. So um, um, today we have Janice Mora with us. Um, she's here to talk about what, you know, uh, we think we'd call it some kind of an extraordinary life. Uh, she's been a competitive runner since high school. She's a physical therapist by trade for over 40 years, and you guys correct me if I'm missing anything here. Um, uh, I guess almost made the Olympic trials a couple of times, right, Janice? So close. So close. Um, 15 seconds in a marathon. <laughs> oh! Twice. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, left your day job in, at the age of, the ripe old age of 36 to go to take a little pressure off of uh, the full-time gig. How'd you know that? Uh, somebody told me. And, um, and a seven-year survivor of stage four ovarian cancer, right? So if that wasn't enough, uh, she's also been put up, putting up with Gary for how many years? That's the real challenge. Uh, 26. 26 years. That yeah. long? Yeah, yeah, not married that long, but yeah, together that long. Jeez. Right, so he that's... Uh, 26 years so old. So 26 wow. feels like half-life to me. It is. It I is. Half -life. It is exactly his half-life, right. right. Yeah. Congratulations. So... Um, I don't know what that means, if it gets easier at the half-life or harder at the half-life, but, yeah, um, yeah. but okay. So um, so with that, um, let me kick it off here. I'm just checking through my notes here. So, so Janice, we're going to give you some easy questions first before, before sure. we get into it. Um, so why don't you just give us a quick rundown of, of just tell us about you, right? Uh, I, gave, I gave some specs there, but, you know, how old are you? Where did you grow up? What, how was your running? You know, where did you go to school, career, okay. hobbies? All right. Uh, like you, you, you hit the... the 
the high bullet points, I guess. Um, I will be of Medicare age in one month. I'll be wow. 65 in a month. Wow. Get um, out of here. We, we try and keep it very honest on I this know. show. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there's the door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. So I grew up in Wayne, Wayne, New Jersey. Went to Wayne Hills High School. So I've run pretty much all my life. Um, w- went to PT school. I was interested in fitness of some sort. And my father steered me in that direction. God bless him. Um, and it's been great. I had to take a little hiatus from any kind of fitness or athleticness um, during those college years and put on about 30 pounds and was horrible. Um, got married way too young to my first husband and um, we split amicably, but he was the one that pushed me to get back into running, so I give him credit for that. Um, so ran, started running just for fun, slowly something to do after work. And then I got started to get pretty good at it. And then I joined a club and then I started to get a lot better at it and kept at it. My husband was like, ah, oh, we're not gonna have any babies. And I'm like, yeah, not so much. So he's like, all right, I'm leaving. You know, we gotta have babies. So, <laughs> so it was amicable. I, I, can't, I can't argue with that. So um, I, I got more and more into my physical therapy and started gearing it more towards sports. My first job was in a sports physical therapy place, which was unheard of in 19, in 1980, I mean, sports physical therapy or sports anything wasn't a thing back then. So I, I, I took a job that did not pay much and I could have made three times the money out of school. And I'm like, I don't want to work in a hospital. I don't want to work. You know, some people may like that, but not for me. So I took a job with this husband and wife team that started this sports practice up in Rockland County, New York, and um, learned a lot from them because he was an, actually an athletic trainer for a couple of pro teams. So I learned a lot there. And left there to run my own practice for a couple of doctors down in Livingston and and then that took off and I started treating more and more runners and it became really totally sports type related practice and then um, that went on for years. Met Gary at a track meet um, that he probably shouldn't have been at, so I really didn't know his age at the time. Well, why shouldn't he have been there? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was watching my friends. You ha- you had to be 30 or older to compete, and she assumed since I was there, I was 30 or over. I mean, why I else competing. would you be at this 30 and over but Masters you, track meet? But you weren't competing. You were just. I was with my friends. He was team. hanging out with yeah. a friend of mine who, 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 who ironically, that I dated when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. It turns out he's a friend of Gary's. How weird is that? But and how old were you? 26. Gary was okay. 26 and I was, 30. I was 37. I wasn't quite, thir- was that 38? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So it was a 12 year difference. And um, yeah, you can, you can, you know, go off from there. That 12 I would year say difference. Once she met me though, it was too late. Too late. Well, of course. She was sucked in. Too late. I'm like, oh my God, it's too late. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that um that took off i guess you can say so he was into running and i was into running so it was it was nice we all had you know we both had kind of goals then i got more and more into my pt and i started taking more advanced um, certifications and passing them so that was nice and then runners started finding me because they knew me as a runner now as well as a pt and um that went on for a number of years and then lo and behold in 2016 i'm like huh I'm, I'm getting menopause, you know, symptoms. I'm, I'm 56 or so. And I'm like, nah, no big deal. I'm getting some abdominal pain. I'm getting some back pain when I run hard. Uh, let me just let me just lighten up. And then I'm like, huh, now I'm starting to get bloated. What's that all about? I'm like, eh, that goes with menopause too. These are all menopause things. And finally, a friend of ours who's also a runner and our, our physician, he's like, 
why don't you come into the office? I mean, because it, it got bad. It got to be painful. I couldn't eat. Little did I know, my abdomen was filling up with blood. Mm. <laughs> so uh, my doctor friend's like, you know, why don't you come in? And he, he wouldn't tell me. This was on a Friday. And he's like, I need you to get a CAT scan. I'm, and I'm thinking the worst. Well, maybe you have an ulcer, maybe, you know, something like that. Um, IBS, I don't know. So he gets the CAT scan back, and he waited till Monday to tell me. So he calls me up, and he's kind of a, he's kind of a, he's got a very straight sense of humor. He's a very d- weird sense of humor. Like if you guys know who Stephen Wright is, the comedian, very much like Stephen Wright. Like he's very flatline. He delivers these messages. I thought he was kidding when he goes, uh, Janice, uh, it's bad. I'm like, what do you mean it's bad? He goes, uh, it's really bad. He goes, it's everywhere. I'm like, what's everywhere? He's like, you have cancer and it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's in your heart. It's in your chest. It's in your lungs. It's in your abdomen. It's in your ovaries. And it's, it goes. It's everywhere. He goes. It looks like ovarian cancer, but I can't say until we do a tap. He goes. We have to drain this blood anyway, so we'll we'll, we'll know then. So I went in. It took me like five days to get in to get this stuff tapped. So I went in, and like two liters of blood later, um, he goes, "Yeah, it's it's ovarian." Mm-hmm. So he sent me to an oncologist who happened to be his cousin. So that was nice. So it was all in the family kind of thing. So he really treated me like, you know, gold. And um, he's like, yeah, this is the first day of the rest of your life that's going to be different. He goes, your life is not going to be the same ever for the rest of your life, ever. I'm like, okay. (laughs) You know, what does that mean? So you, you soon figure out what that means. You know, I had to stop working like almost immediately. And I was working in a private sports practice and I had a lot of patients and, um, that was abruptly just stopped. I mean, thank goodness, obviously, they all understood when they realized, okay, you got to go through some stuff. You know, don't worry about it. But I, I kept in touch with them, either by text or phone, to see how people were doing. But, but you know, chemo started right away, and, um, and, and, and I really responded well to it, and that was the saving grace. The fact that I, I was so strong going into it is what the doctors tell me. And 60 chemo sessions later, <laughs> he's like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll try six and see how it goes. And then we'll try six more and see how it goes. And they kept doing CAT scans and all the scans I needed. And they saw I was responding. And at one point, the, um, the radiologist was like, oh, when did you have surgery? And I'm like, I didn't. He goes, this looks like you had surgery. That's how much this thing receded. I'm like, OK, great. So the doctor kept saying, well, you know, um, keep going. So why not? Let's keep going because you're responding to it. Because there's a point where they usually stop when things level off. He goes, you're still, you're still your, cancer, your cancer blood levels are still pretty high. So let's keep going. So I did. So, so like, just interrupting, usually they stop also because people can't handle it anymore. Right. But, he, but that was always the point they made. Look at you. You're still generally okay. I mean, Obviously, cancer. When you when you're coming out of the um, the oncology unit after doing chemo, you're you're beat up for a week. There's a lot of side effects, um, you know. And it, it, there's a there's a drug for this and a drug for that. Oh, here's a drug for your nausea and your drug for your tightness and your drug for your pain. I'm like, leave me alone. Let me just deal with the chemo and I'll and I'll find my own way to deal with my pain. So being the PT that I am, I'm like, okay, my joints are getting tight. My muscles are getting tight. That's what happens with chemo. You severely dehydrate. Your white bloods are down to like zero, literally zero. I think it was down to like zero point something at one point. And um, your platelets are are in a tank. So, and your muscles are going to react to that. So I'm like, you know what? Let's get out the foam roller. Let's start rolling and stretching and, and doing it. And let me get out and just start walking. 
I can only walk 150 feet. My husband, um, uh, Gary, would come with me, and we'd run as we'd walk as far as we can and walk back home. The next day, I'd walk a little further. We walk back home. So, so time out. So, when you say you could only walk 150 feet because you were tired, or no, just tired, painful. tired. Standing upright was just like an effort. That's how weak you get. It's um, and as strong as I was, I was trying to go to the gym. I couldn't really go to the gym because it was just irritating my joints. I was doing body weight stuff, trying to get on it. In the beginning, I just couldn't. But after about a month or two, I'm like, eh, I think I can do this. So, so um, I'm trying to picture how this works. So you start chemo, and do you slowly get more and more tired and lethargic, or does yeah, because like that, that, that builds up. That really starts to beat up on your marrow. Your marrow starts to tank as well. So. So that just that fatigue level and that effect it has on your muscles and your and your and your digestive system. So now you're you know you're constipated all the time. Your heart your heart rate just feels like it's racing all the time. You just want to you don't want to eat. You, you just you're just not hungry. So you don't you just can't find the energy for anything. So I just tried to stay on top of that in the beginning. Just try and keep myself level without going less than. So I'm like, I just want to keep myself at baseline before I start to go anywhere with this. So, um, so the side effects were, were crazy, um, but I found a way around it pretty much. Any, anything in terms of physical therapy, I mean, good thing I, I kept myself in shape. So I got to say the foam rolling and the stretching really helped doing, doing breathing exercises, doing posture exercises, because you just want to fold up on yourself. So posture exercises, breathing, which I told my oncologist, he's like, how come you're not taking any of the pain meds? I'm like, well, I don't want to. He's like, well, what are you doing instead? I'm doing this, this, and this. He's like, oh, well, you know, we, we, we uh, send our patients out to this yoga lady and, um, you know, patients are like, eh, whatever, you know, it's okay. I'm like, well, why don't you have them start doing this stuff? So Did meanwhile, I was taking this class, this, this cancer class that the, y, the local YMCA offers this free two-month cancer class on, on oh, let's get in a circle and do and do some weights. So I went there and I'm like, this is terrible. Did you take over the class and teach yeah. them? So the, so the teacher that was there, I talked to her, I'm like, this is terrible. These people have terrible posture and you're putting little two pound weights in their hands and they're sitting with their face practically on the floor trying to lift two pound weights with their hands. I'm like, what is that doing? So she's like, well, you got a better idea? And I'm like, well, yeah, actually. So um, she went on vacation for a few weeks. So the um, the uh, the uh, Y director said, "Hey, do you want to take this class over?" I'm like, "Yes." So <laughs> so I did, and I think the the patients appre the other people there appreciated. It. It's like, well, you you know what we're feeling, so we we trust you. So we just did posture stuff and endurance stuff and more posture stuff and breathing stuff, and it was a lot of fun. So um, she came back and she's like, you know. She got miffed. The teacher was like, yeah, we, we need you out of here. So it was only a two-month program, and I was like, whatever. So the guy's like, well, you know, we really don't need any more teachers right now because I offered to do it for free. I said, just give me a Y membership, and I'll do it for free. But whatever. So, you know, wow. they're, they're lost. Yeah, that was, Jan that was pretty funny. Janice, I know in physical therapy, oftentimes we talk to patients about either pre-surgical or pre-injury functional level. In your case, being the runner, how do you feel that impacted what you were going through at that time? Um, it was uh, in terms of doing physical therapy mm -hmm. on myself or with my... In terms of your ability to handle and go through what you just explained being the runner that uh, you were beforehand. Ah, uh, okay. Um, and let me just layer onto that, like general pain tolerance. Like, do you have like super high pain threshold? And I like if you to could think combine so. that with I think if you're a competitive runner, you kind of have to. I, yeah, I, okay. I think I've got a high pain threshold. 
I, I really do. And I got that from mom. And mom, I mean, mom and dad were pretty were pretty impressive in that respect. You know, mother that from you know my, my my parents like, <laughs> my parents grew up in the depression and they they did a lot of walking and hauling and this and and that. And my mother, you know, till the day she died, I mean, man, she was she was always doing something. She wasn't an athlete by any means or physically active, but she was physically active doing everything else. And they just instilled that. They were not pain pop, pain pill poppers and just being a PT and being an athlete all through high school. That really did it. And, you know, and you're kind of going, you know, this is what I preach to my patients, you know, do this stuff. So I always make a point to do what I'm preaching, right? I mean, don't you want to be an example for your patients? I, I get so sick of PTs that preach and, and, and then they go off and they're, you know, hitting the cigarette break. I'm like, come on. Or, or, the, or the, uh, the high school gym teacher who's, you know, uh, oh, fat as a whale. 900 pounds yeah. and they're, and they're uh, even, even my oncologist <clears throat> at one point, who's not unfit, but he's not fit. He's like, you know, you're you're just an, and I'm just embarrassed to be around you. He goes, you're more fit than I am. Um, I used to, um, I used to walk to my chemo sessions from day one. Well, walk, run. You run as much. No, as you I can. walked in the beginning because I couldn't oh, run. Yeah. But I used to walk to the hospital. It was about three and a half, three three and a half, four miles, and 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 Gary would pick me up because I couldn't walk home. I would land in the street somewhere. But um, I did that every time I had to go. And there was a point where I was walking and running to chemo. And then there was a point where I walked and ran nine miles to their other office in Denville. It wasn't in Morristown where we live. I said, I'm going to go to the Denville office and see if I can do it. So <laughs> there I am at 7 a.m. and I'm walking and running on, on Route 53, which is not a big highway, but it's highway no it's shoulder. a bus route no shoulder so this new york bus stopped me um on on route 53 and he's like uh are you are you running away from somebody are you okay <laughs> oh, i am fine yeah, i'm just scary. i'm just i'm just going to chemo he's like yeah. oh all right and it happened one other time too when i was going to chemo in a snowstorm and somebody from the local news was out there like reporting on the snow and i was the only one out there in marstown walking from through town to get to marstown hospital and he's like, what are you doing out here on this, you know, nice day? I'm like, well, I'm going to chemo. He's like, oh. <laughs> That's awesome. What do you say? All right. <laughs> I know. He's like, okay. He's like, I feel better. And he's like, run, runs away. But, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so everything involved with um, chemo and getting through it was all me figuring out and using my PT knowledge to get there. I'm like, okay, what can I do to get my red blood cells? Out? What can I do to get my white blood? What can I do to change or fix my diet or make my diet even better? So it turns out, number one, you can't do much for your platelets. So I gave up on that. And my platelets to date are still on the very low side. And my oncologist last week told me that he goes, eh, he goes, you, you probably really beat up your marrow so much that they won't fully come back. I'm like, all right. You know, he's like, it doesn't affect your endurance. He goes, don't worry about it. I'm like, okay. But um, uh <laughs> Yeah, so every time, you know, the doctor tries to push the, the meds on you, there's just a way around it. There really is. I mean, it's not, it's, I mean, I went through 60, I think it was 62 chemo sessions. So, so let's, let's go on that. What's the, what is the average? Yeah, what's normal? The average for stage, I mean, most stage four ovarians, they give you a 5% chance of survival after five years. I thought it was 12. No, five. Oh. Five percent. So I'm at seven years now. So yay! But um, I just think because I was able to tolerate so much more, most people have to stop because their body just can't do it, and that's when things go downhill. But I was still responding to like the level one care, 
So even now, my, my doctor says, you know, if you ever, if it ever, you know, if you have a, uh, if it comes back, he goes, we haven't even gotten past level one. There's like three levels of, of chemo that you could still be doing that's still out there. That's still an option for you. But isn't like, the average person about 15 treatments? Maybe. And, the and then your doctors, multiple doctors say they've never seen anybody get anywhere near. Yeah. Not much past 20. And once I got to 20, I'm like, all right, am I done? He's like, well, your numbers are still here and you're still tolerating it. So I'm like, okay, let's keep forging ahead. So stopping chemo is a factor of the person, of the patient saying, I can't take I can't this do, anymore. Or, physically, or they see physically by yes. MRI, CAT scan, or your blood numbers, yeah. your body just can't withstand that kind of bombardment of this noxious substance. What does that mean? Can't withstand it? Meaning like you go into a coma like here, if you take uh, one more session? Yeah, or well, you get, you get such severe allergic reaction. Because okay. if you have, like after, like I had 60 and, and let me tell you, there were nurses around me at like 40 that were like, we're waiting for this allergic reaction because you've had way more than is even in the literature for this stuff. And an and allergic reaction is either like a major one, like an anaphylaxis kind of reaction, or you start just breaking out in hives. So I got to about 58 <laughs> and I'm like, huh, my hands are beet red and they're they're gonna explode in a second. And the nurse is sitting next to me, she goes, <gasps> so she she pulls everything out of me, gets the doc who happened to be on site, thank goodness. You know, they, their chemo is on the same site as the physicians are, so it's great. So there, there's always somebody there. So he came running back, he's like, get that out of her. So I had to go on something similar. There was a lesser drug that they used to use like in the 90s and the 2000s. It has the same effect, but there's a lot more side effects. So I had to do that for my last four sessions. So it's a combination of this one platinum drug and I had to take Lasix. Yes, the stuff they give to horses um, to, to keep their kidneys from, from going into failure. So because it piles up in your system so fast, you have to keep draining it out. Wait, so back, back up a second. So the, the, the allergic reaction is what? To the drug? The or, drug. Or, the drug itself, because you can only take so many sessions of it before your body goes, enough. Here's my reaction to it. We're done. So I can't ever take that particular drug again. Oh. I'm done. I'm done with that. So if I go yeah. back, I got to go back to this stupid combination of cisplatin and um, Lasix. But he mentioned like other levels of treatment. Is it yeah, they don't ever want to go there until one is fully not working anymore. But the other, like level two is is not the same, can't be the same drug, right? It's, no. I don't even know if it's- No, uh, some of them will be the same, but it will be a different cocktail. Yeah. They would throw something else in there that will have more side effects. But- but you have to avoid the allergic reaction thing too. Right? Yes. So, so, but I can still go back to this one I was doing with the Lasix. I didn't. I didn't time that one out because I never got a reaction to it. Right. But man, it takes three times. It takes like eight hours to go through that one rather than four. And you're you're running with your little pole to the bathroom every two seconds because you're taking Lasix. And then you're trying. You got liters of water next to you. What is Lasix? Lasix, yeah. Lasix is a diuretic. Okay. So they're trying you were to keep a two your two for one deal getting your I, eyes. I know, right? You know, Wouldn't that be a, two, a LASIK. Yeah, not LASIK the eye surgery. <laughs> LASIK the horse racing drug that they feed horses to keep because they, you know, they, you know, sometimes the horses are taking illegal things and they got to flush this crap out. That's why a lot of them all died last night. Well, that's why a lot of them are, yeah, they go on the track once and they drop dead. But to keep your kidneys moving and functioning, otherwise they'll shut down. So they have to keep your kidneys going, okay, let's keep working. <laughs> so they're working and working and you got to keep filling up. You got to keep filling. You got to keep replacing the fluid as it's, being, as it's coming out of you. Janice, as I'm listening to you talk about you know, your journey through your experience, 
and the tolerance for the treatment that they're doing. You also mentioned that you're walking and running to your treatments. That reminds me of an article I read recently it was talking about how a lot of research recently has shown that exercise, a physical activity, is one of the best things to do for chronic pain. How would you say that's affected your journey, your ability to stay active and willingness to try and stay active? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I'm well aware of a lot of the chronic pain literature, too, because I, I, I see a lot of that mixed in with the athletes. And, I, you know, a lot of athletes do have chronic pain, right? So uh, it's easier to, to, to for an athlete to understand, you know, okay, you know, I can't run anymore, so I, I don't want to do anything. So you have to convince sometimes. Sometimes I had to convince myself, okay, I got to find other ways to keep myself moving if I can't run. So I was swimming. I was swimming. I was cross-training. I was doing everything I possibly could just to keep myself moving. And there were days I didn't want to do it. But I knew ultimately it was going to affect my pain in a good way. You always want to go for the body's way of dealing with pain, the emotional component is so huge. So if you can get yourself in the right frame of mind and go, all right, this is gonna work, you know, it's gonna work. I'm, yeah. I'm just convinced it's gonna work. Do you really need, to, I mean, they really pushed the antidepressants on me. I'm just amazed where I got to the point where I was like yelling at my oncologist. I'm like, stop it. You know me by now this after six months. This was without showing signs of Yes, of not requesting it, not wanting it. He's like, I know what you're going through. I'm like, but you don't. You're assuming I'm like most of your patients that are just like lying in bed all curled up and, and complaining. I'm like, do you see me? I'm not complaining. I just, I'm bringing up symptoms because they're important. But, but I'm telling you that I'm dealing with them. It's not, it's, you know, it's not that big of a deal. I mean... This whole nausea thing is really is really out the window now because when they're feeding you your chemo, they're feeding an anti-nausea medication, and that stuff works like a charm. I think you got sick once. I didn't. Gary, <laughs> I never got sick. I would, I'd like to just ask Gary a question. Do you feel threatened? She's obviously 100 times tougher than you are. I can kick oh, your ass in a heartbeat. I, I could have told you that before he this. Said it. Okay. He was saying it every week. He's like, I'm not sure I can do what you're doing. I'm not sure I can do it. I'm not sure I can do it. So one of the things, I read an uh, article about a year ago about you know people going through through uh, cancer treatments. And if you go in in very healthy shape, like you take care of yourself, um, you get through with a higher success rate, um, which is why I think Janice was so successful going through. But you can't start. Your body can't handle chemo and, oh, well, now I'm going to start training so I can get myself able to do it. You have to be in shape going into it. So you need to make sure you take care of yourself before you're sick in any way because you'll handle it much better. Absolutely. And I'm not here to promote running. I mean, that's, was, that's my thing. Get out and walk. I don't care. Get out and do whatever you can do to move. You know, anything. Get to the pool. If you have a pool, you like to swim, great. One notation for that, though, with for you women with osteoporosis, pool, Pool activity is not going to do it for your bones, so you got to add some kind of weight bearing to it. So, combination of walking and and, and pool pool stuff. If you have arthritis, that's fine. Um, pickleball. I mean, don't forget pickleball. Pickle, oh, yeah, just don't, don't get me started on the. It, okay, note on pickleball. <laughs> a, a new study. Did you hear about the new the yeah. new studies coming out with yeah, the with the oh, five hundred yeah. increase in percentage, and the number one is the wrist fractures. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, God. So, you know, be careful. Don't, you know, if you're not, if you're not in shape to play pickleball, get yourself ready to go. I mean, but, but, you know. It's, it's, well, so did you have a, uh, like a daily schedule? Like I'm going to work out for two hours, three hours, five hours a day. I was a day, do, it was a day by day you thing. Were because it up after day. I went, I mean, the, the worst side effect of the chemo was the constipation. 
and even and you can drink and drink and drink and drink and drink and it's it's a because it's a constipation brought about by a side effect of the drug and that's hard to combat and i really and i didn't want to get started on any of these any of those kind of drugs that stimulate your nervous system to make yourself go because then you rely on those and then you're then you're stuck with those for life so there was a point when, when, when Gary would find me like in our living room watching TV and just jumping up and down. Right. <laughs> I'm like, well, I really right, can't right. run, but, but just, the, just the mechanical gravity effects of jumping up and down will get you started. You know, <laughs> that was, that's a great way to combat it. Nobody thinks of that. But, but the actual, you know, just, just, just getting some extra body weight going through your feet, good for your bones too, but, but that will get things started. Plus your body is straight. So it's not making any turns to exit your body, <laughs> whatever you need to, to exit or empty. Um, that was the toughest thing. And it, there was a point where it would take me five days to get back to where I was going. And that was just in time to start my next chemo session. And then, then the cycle started all over again. But when they started spreading out the chemo to every two weeks, that, that helped. It helped get me back on track that I could really start to train. So it took me a good six months to eight months before I could actually like train train, train, like, okay, I'm at baseline. Maybe now I can get somewhere. So then though, but after I stopped the chemo, um, then I went through a few surgeons that said, okay, it's time for surgery because you got to remove the offending structures. It was all that since the cancer was all over the place, they can't remove everything because um, ovarian cancer is very microscopic and it doesn't encapsulate, it just goes everywhere. So you can't just start taking things out randomly. You have to try and get everything in a collective so then you can remove it. So the, I got to a point where I went to, um, not that I want to blast Sloan, I went to Sloan Kettering and this surgeon was like, uh, yeah, we, we can, you know, this is, this is a great time now to, to think about surgery. And we scheduled it and, and he called me the, the morning of my surgery, two hours before and said, uh, uh, I'm, I'm not comfortable doing this. Um, I don't think I can get it all. Um, I have to cancel it. I was like, what? He goes, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not the guy for you. I, I just, I was like, this can't be, this is Sloan Kettering calling and telling me that. I'm like, all right. So, so I wait, went to my- so I, I need to back up. So yeah. you said a minute ago, you need to collect it all in one place and then remove it. Right. What does right. that mean? Shrink it down. What does that right. mean? You have to shrink it. You have to shrink it so you get rid of some of the random cells that might be in other organs. So my my constant CAT scans and MRIs, because they were being done like every four to six weeks, they would show me, okay, now it's no longer in your large intestine. It's just here, here, and here, but it's less and less and less. Um, it was always showing up in my heart and lungs, and it still kind of is to date. I still have stuff in my lungs. But it's stable. So you're not but, you're not moving it around. You're kind of like shrinking it, putting down. out the. You're, you're putting ones. out fires. You're putting out fires because it's it's ovarian and it and it's metastatic. So you can get rid of a lot of the metastases, but not necessarily the primary. So you're hoping to shrink it all down into the ovaries, the uterus, like the places where it started. Um, so I got really good. But there's going to be some other things they might remove. And my doctor was like, well, you know, maybe we got to remove part of your intestine and you might have to wear a, you know, a bag. And I'm like, yeah, let's, let's keep shrinking because I'm responding and I'm still shrinking. I'm not ready to do that. That's nuts. So um, this guy wasn't comfortable doing it. So a few months later, I found a different surgeon that was recommended to me by a running friend of mine who's the chief nurse practitioner at Columbia. 
Columbia Press, and she's awesome. So I always trusted her judgment. And she said, go see this woman. And she happened to be in, in Summit. And she's a really, she's a, she's a great surgeon. You know, she's always got, you know, um, great feedback from all my patients. So I went to her and she's like, what? Why hasn't anybody taken this stuff out yet? She goes, you're like 93% contained to your ovaries and your, she goes, yeah, you have some stuff in your heart and lungs, but you can't worry about that right now because that's not going to go anywhere because you have a big layer of tissue that separates your chest from your abdomen. She goes, and you can't penetrate that. She goes, I would never try and go in there around your heart and start picking this stuff out. She goes, we could still- You need your heart and your lungs. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not a, She's like, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to start doing heart surgery to pick out little cells yeah. of it. She goes, we can still work on the chemo with that. She goes, let's get out the offending official um, well, right. organ. Is, is that the source? Like, well, yes. I don't understand why you wouldn't and go I, for I the kept asking first. my doctor that. I'm like, why are we not taking my, my, my why are we not removing this well, yet? When goes, it first well, started- it, it was all over. They couldn't. It made it. sense that they couldn't do it at first, but I, but then I started wondering, and my oncologist was kind of like, "Well, you know, I guess so." Even when it was shrinking down, he was like, "Well, I guess so." But I don't like, get that. Like, if you had an oil tank leaking in your yard, you'd say, "Like, oh, don't take the tank out yet until we clean up all the dirt." That's like, that doesn't, doesn't make any that, sense. Why would we just take leaking. take right. it out? And that okay. was my that was my who am I, who am I to say? I, I think sounds a little I weird. Mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was it was at the point where it wasn't going to solve anything. Because it was already spreading. So why go through all that trauma if it's not going to... Right. In the beginning, I understood that. But then it got to the point where it was... When, when she said it's over 90% contained, she goes, we have to do this at some point because it probably won't get 100% contained because it's in your heart and your, in your lungs. It's not going to go... It's not going to drift down to your abdomen and go into your ovaries again. It's already there. So I was like, I'm game, whatever. So, and she's like, okay, you know, we're going to, you have to remove, you know, the ovaries and, and, and uterus and some of your omentum, which is some of the lining of your abdomen just to be safe. I'm like, okay. So, uh, so we did it uneventful. Thank goodness. Um, I, the worst part was just having to be in the hospital for more than one day because they won't release you until you go to the bathroom. And I'm like, how can I go to the bathroom? I haven't eaten in four days. So I just said, yeah, I went to the bathroom and she believed me and they let me go. So as soon as I got home, I was able to eat and then go to the bathroom because I, I don't know. I don't know how that would have changed. So she was she 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 knew I was lying when she came in and said, yeah, OK, I'll, I'll let you go. <laughs> but she did. She let me go. And um, that was a rough recovery getting over that like eight inch abdominal scission. But being a PT, I use my PT knowledge because God forbid a physician recommends PD after after a major incision What's that PD? could affect. P PD. Oh, I'm sorry. I said PT. Did that come oh, out? You said PD, PD, yeah. Oh, PT. <laughs> I, I thought so too. I said it never even occurs to these people like, okay, now you have an incision that needs to heal and you have to you have to recover your abdominal muscles and you got to recover your pelvic floor, as Ed well knows, and your back muscles. You got to recover everything that makes up what they call your core for you exercise aficionados out there. You've got core muscles and they get they get shot to heck. When you as soon say as you recover, put you mean rest? They have to act again. No, they have to. You got to. You got to know when to, when to rest when they're when the incision's healing. But then you got to know when to start moving. Got it. Like okay, when can I start doing an, an abdominal activation of the muscles? They don't know. So I'm I'm using my head. I'm like, well, okay, well, this makes sense and that makes sense. So I was using my own common sense and and my PT knowledge and my orthopedic knowledge and my knowledge of tissue and fascia and healing. And I figured it out myself. 
So um, I asked I asked the doctor how long you think this incision will take to heal. So I used her best judgment on that. Um, she goes, oh, I wouldn't worry about that. She goes, I did layers of incisions on you because I know you're athletic and I knew you wouldn't want to deal with any kind of hernia or a diastasis where your muscles separate, where your abdominal muscles actually separate. Um, that a lot of um, C-section women go through. So I'm like, okay, so once I got that cleared, which was only about three, four weeks, then I started slowly working on things myself and getting back into it and getting back into the walking and running. And I was still doing chemo. She wanted me to do aggressive chemo after the surgery to go after that 7% of stuff that was still in me. And in case, like once you have surgery, some of the cancer cells can get a little more active again and they can escape you know, because they're kind of in there moving things around and, and shuffling things. And so the cancer can, can reactivate because we need to do like another four months of this. So I did another four months of that. I said, I'm done. I've had it. And she's like, yeah, your, your body's done. <laughs> so she let me take a month off. And then I had to do a year of an oral, um, of an oral chemo drug. That was probably worse than the chemo. Didn't you Just mean the side effects? Away. That was awful. What's that? Didn't you stop right away? No, I, I, she gave me a four-week break to regroup, and then I started the um, Avastin. It's an, it's an, it, so this drug called Avastin, it's not really a chemo drug. It's an anti-angiogenetic drug. So that means it blocks your ability to create new blood vessels. <laughs> so the thinking is you can't grow any cancer cells if you can't grow new blood vessels for them to grow with. The problem, it works on all your cells. So the questions I asked were like, well, if I'm going to gym trying to rebuild my muscle and I'm taking Avastin, how can I do that if I can't promote the circulation to do that? Because it's nonspecific. There you go. Yeah. So did anybody have an answer? No. So there was one day I was at the <laughs> oncologist and the Avastin rep, the drug rep was in the office just coincidentally. So I asked my, I said, can I go in and ask him a few questions? He's like, ah, come on in. He goes, you're going to think of things we're not going to. So the guy had no answer for me, and he gave me one of those, oh, give me your email and I'll get back to you. And that's going to interrupt you just for a second for the benefit Go ahead. of the listeners, just so they know and understand you're not just a physical therapist, but from your clinical experience, you're also a board-certified clinical specialist in orthopedic physical therapy. Yes. All right. Thank Go you. Ahead. Yeah, so, no problem. As is Ed. <laughs> so I return, I return the compliment of the higher education. So go ahead. So you were talking to the <laughs> but rep. but so nobody had an answer. I don't know how many people I called, and and my oncologist is like, you know, this is this is these are great questions. He goes, I he goes, first of all, I've never had anybody, I've never had anybody like you in terms of my patient. He goes, so you're the first one. So I can't anything from here on is gravy for me. And whatever you figure out, let me know. <laughs> Was basically his response. So. I don't know. I feel like I was working out for a year just to stay baseline. But so the fact that you can't, that your blood vessels are suffering from this, um, I noticed that it started weakening my ligaments. And I had no answer for that. So I'm looking stuff up like, why is this weakening my ligaments? Because they're now getting, they already have little blood supply and like and cartilage. So now they have even like less than they had before. Is it like a repair mechanism that was halted? Yeah. Well, your your body normally responds to training by by building muscles and fibers, but they need blood to do that. If you don't have circulation, it's not going to happen. So this stuff is anti-vat. 
So this I couldn't you were having grow. all your thumbs dislocated. Right? Oh my God. Well, yeah, I'm going to get into that. So, so the pain, the joint pain was incredible. See, one or two. But oh my yeah, God. All between all the, uh, between <laughs> the kneecap pain and uh, funny, my, my, my bunions never acted up. And that, that's what I would have thought would have blown up on Could me. Put those back. But uh, I know, right? <laughs> that would have been nice. So the kneecap pain, the shoulder pain, but my my fingers were dis my finger joints, my thumb joints were dislocating. Now at this point, I had opened a small office in the basement of my house because I was getting I started getting more and more frequent phone calls and texts from patients of mine going, "Oh, um, I hear you're recovering nicely. You know, when are you coming back to the office?" I'm like, "Well, I can't I can't commit to a schedule, so I really can't go to an office." So I, I so Gary's like, "Why don't you just make an office in the basement?" I'm like, "Okay." So we made it like kind of a semi makeshift office in the basement. Uh, just to be clear, we do have a finished basement. Just- oh yeah, no, I wasn't like you know treating amongst the cobwebs, but <laughs> basically I had a table and I had some equipment and I had all my fitness equipment and I, I have I have my needles. I'm a dry needler, so I, was, I do a lot of dry needling for soft tissue issue. That's a whole other. Gotta, that's a whole other thing. Can you just you, define you gotta, that? I've never heard that. Oh, term dry, I feel oh, no, kind dry of dry needling. Stupid. That's a whole. That's a whole situation. What dry is needling? Yeah, we're just definition. Okay, so people are gonna go. Well, is it acupuncture? I'm like, no. You use acupuncture needles. Yes, the the implement is the same. But dry needling is more of a of a of a Western thought process in terms of pain and pain modulation. So you're 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 going after. You're you're doing a complete evaluation. You're trying to find somebody's source of pain. So the needle is a great way to eliminate that pain on a neurological level, which affects your brain much more quickly than, say, getting a massage or using an electrical stim kind of unit. So you're going after trigger points based on your evaluation, what you think the pain producer is. Whereas acupuncture is based on old you know, Eastern thought philosophy, Chinese medicine, where you have meridians and body energy and flow. You know, these are, this is thousands of years old. They didn't know trigger points and pain patterns and this and that. So they have their thought process. Dry needlers have a more Western thought process on, so based I, on pain you, medicine. Let me give current. you a couple examples. So, I mean, I've had back problems since college. Um, and whenever Janice, whenever I have my SI joint get stuck, it takes a lot. What's long an SI joint? Sacroiliac. Yeah, it's where it's where your low back meets your pelvic bone. It's like it's like your little dimple area where, you, where your dimples are on your back. It's the joint that relates to that. A lot of runners will know. And uh, non scientifically, are you talking like top of butt crack? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know those little dimples <laughs> on the side of your side. Yeah. We can go. I can tell you a nice story about that, but uh, okay. We'll, we'll, we'll just, do it later. Just, so, but, but no. So I'm not just shoving needles in people to get rid of pain. So I'm going to give some examples. So whenever I have my back issues, which I've had forever, you know, she's a lot of work for her to fix it. Um, and then when she started needling, she just stuck stick a couple needles in the areas and it would work significantly faster. And um, and then whenever I pull my hamstring, which has always come from my back, it would be six weeks before I could be better. And she started needling, it would take half the time. I, but I the, but the thing, but the thing with that is I'm not just going, oh, your pain hurts here. I'm just going to shove a needle in your right side. No, I'm, I'm looking at the L5 nerve root. I'm looking at the S1 nerve root. I'm looking at L4. So that's what I'm exactly. going after with the needles because well, that's say, the yeah. stuff that controls the pain it's in the joint. The but then that releases the <laughs> tension in the joint. So then I can then I can correct the joint. Either All right, so another dumb question. Have I never heard of dry needling just because it's, it's, relatively, it's, it's rare or because I'm not in the It's industry relatively or? new in the physical therapy world. Um, I mean, acupuncturists have been around for a long time, but they don't they don't take the same the same mental approach to it. I mean, I'm not I mean, acupuncture is great and it has its place, too. But this approach is in a different way. Um, 
and you still need to do your physical therapy. It's not a be-all, end-all. You, you dry, it's, it's a means to an end. It just gets you there quicker. Sounds like it, yeah, it accelerates. In my it. opinion, it gets you there well, way quicker than We're all old. Else. I hope you got a suitcase of needles out in the car. Oh, yeah. that's great. I used to carry needles with me in my car for... It, it doesn't hurt. I only cry a little bit. Yeah. He cries a lot. It's always You're, top, he's the worst. For Gary, it's always you. top of butt crack. Is that where you always do it? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, actually likes yeah. it a little lower, but we won't go there. I know. Um, yeah, yeah. I feel bad. You're, you're puncturing skin or just like the... Oh, you're going the, into the muscle. Remember, it's an acute... It's a hair-like It's a hair -like thin needle. So okay. It's not like a But you are going in. These are like... Oh, yeah. They're yeah. going yeah. in. So if, if I want to get to the muscle that's adjacent to that L5 nerve coming out of your out of your spine, that's a, that's a deep fingertip-sized muscle. You can't reach that with your fingers or anything else. Nothing's going to go that deep. So I can actually hit it with the needle. Yeah, she loves saying, okay, I'm going to stick this needle through here to get... I'm like, please don't tell me you're doing, just do it. Because like Some three people, inches in, I'm like, I don't want to know. You, right, you can't necessarily feel it's three inches in. But then right? I get, you I feel get, it. I get my high school you, can athletes. Can you tell the difference between two inches no. or three inches? Yeah. Well. I, I knew it was going to go there. <laughs> so hey, time, time, so time out, just a little sidebar. So acupuncture, has anybody had it? Who's yes. had it? Gary, yes. Johnny, no. Ed, no. Janice? No. No. no, Adam? No, but I do have a, a comment to make on it. So I, I think historically AMA has said, oh, well, that's bullshit. Uh, but they always, if they you always will. talk about people who have been in the industry, my father, for an example, has acknowledged the AMA's position, but also said, don't be so quick to question something that's been around for thousands of years and has worked for people. Right. Absolutely true. And it continues right. to work for people. But why did you ask, Ray? Uh, just because um, when you guys were talking, or when Adam and, and Gary were talking about it, you know, thinking of just the thought of putting needles in, and I, I have had it done, right, once or twice. But before that, you know, thinking about sticking these long needles in, under your skin just feels like, why would you do that, right? Like well, it just I, doesn't correct me if I'm wrong, but the um, acupuncture, you don't go deep or as nearly as deep. It depends. Uh, I mean, a lot of acupuncturists now are trying to do a little combo of both, which I find is a little eh, because I actually, an acupuncturist actually came to me a couple months ago to get dry needling. Isn't that a cake in the pants, right? Wow, so nice. dry, an acupuncturist, and she teaches in an acupuncture school over in Montclair. And she goes, I heard you're a really good dry needler. She goes, um, it's, you know, what I do is not the same. So I wanted, she goes, I have some knee issues and I'm just curious to see, you know, what you're gonna be looking at. So, and when I was done, she's like, because hmm. that was great because it's because there's a real thought process behind it you really need to understand your 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 musculoskeletal system and how it works and how pain ties in and how the ner how your nervous system works in tandem and you have to know what you're doing before you start, start sticking needles in people you're not just sticking needles on my knee i said yes she goes well that's the problem for for acupuncturists because we we don't teach anatomy in our acupuncture school because right. that's not Eastern medicine. They're learning meridians. They're learning depth of tissue. They don't define the tissue. Depth of tissue sounds good, but meridians are just imaginary, correct? Well, no? uh, don't say imaginary because they believe in, in, in okay, this organ, like, like a stomach meridian, any pain that runs along this meridian, you'll find. So stomach meridian will go through like your, the, your front, like, like for, if you have a shin splint. An acupuncturist might go, oh, that runs right through the stomach meridian. So they're going to treat that whole what meridian. What is the meridian, though? It's an, it's, a, it's an energy channel of flow. They see it as an energy flow channel. And can you measure the joules per second? Oh, they have not done that because they don't get so supported with research. Yeah. So, so the acupuncturists now are, are leaning on dry needling literature that's coming out because 
PTs and people doing dry needling are, are, are always geared towards research. Acupuncturists, because they don't think that way. They're like, hey, this works. We're going to just keep mm -hmm. teaching it and doing it. So they're leaning on dry needling literature, which isn't totally right because it's not the same thought process. So they're trying to legitimize. I don't want to say legitimize because they've been around thousands of years, like you said, and it's worked for people. Um, so being a different thought process, you can't take the same research, but they're starting to measure that, what you're saying. They're starting to measure nerve flow because nerve has fluid that flows through it as well as like any circulatory organ like there's there's what they call axoplasm runs through your nerves much like blood runs through your arteries and veins so they're just starting to measure that and they're measuring pain pain um chemicals that are related to pain they're measuring okay how many how many pain chemicals are there now and if you dry needle let's measure those pain chemicals after and they're noticing like like a thousand percent decrease in like one minute, as opposed to like massage or something wow. else that might take months and months and months and months and months. I'm not sorry I asked that question, which is a little off topic because that that's fascinating. But to Ray's point, I, I agree. It's so counterintuitive. How are you going to make this pain go away? Oh, let me stick some needles in you. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds really, like a sadistic yeah. really experiment gone like 180 degrees wrong. But what they're learning right? now about the brain and how the brain works—it's amazing how how you can how you can tap into that by just by just a needle and how it's positioned in your body. It's amazing what it triggers in your brain. So, if I could, I want to get back to a point that maybe most people are thinking about. I can't get it out of my head since you first mentioned it when you were diagnosed. You said 5%. Well, okay, that's that's all well and good. But that means a 95% chance that someone with that diagnosis is not going to be around in five years. 95% yes. chance. Yes. So obviously the odds are, are, are against folks with that diagnosis oh, in general. So you're That probably... was my thought process, of course. That was our thought process. I mean, I think Gary thought the same thing. He's like, all right, so we have maybe five years. That's what I was thinking. So at that point, and maybe maybe even think, well, I'm in good shape. Maybe it's ten percent for me. Maybe a little better I, than the average. I had to think that way. You have like, to think that way. How? I imagine a lot of people would think, well, you know, there's so much wrong with this planet and people and politics. I've had a good life. All right, I don't want to go through all this chemo bullshit and feel sick. I had a good life. I'll, I'll check out. Go on pain meds. Make it easy. Why fight? I was only 56 years old. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't thinking, why not? Well, wait, wait. That's, I, I, mean, I don't know that's if you all... want to discuss this or remember this, but do you remember your first reaction the first two, three weeks of the diagnosis? Eh, who knows? But if you remember, tell me. You didn't want to do it. You were looking for a place to go find outside the country to get euthanized. Oh, God, no. No, I said um, I don't want to get to a point where I'm in horrible shape because I saved my life and now I'm like, I'm non-functioning. That's what I thought about. I'm like, I'd rather, I'd rather go to a state where they will, well, they will do the, you know, euthanize me rather than have me going through some kind of, where I'm just laying there and people have to take care of me. I don't ever want to do that. So I wasn't, I don't want to do that right away. Now where were you no. going to go? But look, whether, whether Jeez, you're- Gary, you thinking that? <laughs> Whether you're, yeah, you're well, someone for not giving up. Oh, my God. Yeah, we'd, the planet would be down another genius that we can't afford to lose. Right. Um, whether it's 36, 56, 66, 46, it doesn't, I don't, I don't know if that matters. For my, my specific question is why, you know, what, what was the driving force? What, what made you say, all right, you know, it's 95% it's chance this isn't going to work. 
I'm going to try it anyway, because if it was like a, uh, let's say, stock picking or financial investment or, um, you know, any anything else in life, most people, if it's a 95% chance of failure, yeah. I'm going to do so it. I, I could tell you what I remember, because when she told me this low percentage and, and maybe we're remembering this wrong differently, but you were like, I don't want to go through this for that chance and, and have a miserable two, three years of chemo. And I and I said, well, if I told you less than one percent of people who run, less than one percent of women who run could break five minutes a mile ever, forget about the whole population, would you think you would have a chance of doing that? <laughs> and uh, and you know, and in all your running and everything you've done, you've been in that top one percent. So why would this be any different? Yeah, I get. I guess. Gary, yeah, you remember? Well, you know, up with that. That's some really good insight. Was, it was the best thing I ever came up. The first few weeks were kind of <laughs> first few weeks were kind of flipping out. So maybe you're right. Maybe I'm not remembering correctly. That, that could I have be a right. very good memory. But I know that I remembered at a point. Memory. I said, if this gets so bad that I'm I'm like a really bad cancer patient, you didn't even want to try please. it first, and I was trying to convince you to at least. Let's see I what even happens. brought it up with Tony, our, our physician friend that first diagnosed me. I even brought it up with him. He's like, oh, he goes, I could never do that. I would just tell you to, you know, go to go to a state, find a state where you can establish residency, and then go do it somewhere else. He's like, I could never do that. <laughs> For other listeners that either might be going through similar diagnosis <laughs> oh, or have loved ones going through something like this, what would you share from your journey that you've learned that you would pass on to other people going through a similar experience or similar diagnosis? Um, you know, people go, oh, you know, you're 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 so strong. I'm like. My answer is, you know, you have to do what you got to do, and if you're still if you're still doing well, then then you just keep you keep going with it. I mean, you got to have a reason to live, right? You have lo- so if you're talking about loved ones, that's a reason right there, right? So you have loved ones. Yeah, and, she still lived even with me, right? And uh, right, and you're and so you're thinking, okay, how are they going to feel if I'm giving up? You know, they're gonna, probably going to feel worse than I am. So it's such a mental game more than anything. Yeah, it's a physical thing you got to endure, but. Every day is a mental game, and you're trying to find ways to keep yourself, you know, thinking and on the positive side. And I, I did a lot of reading during that time, a lot of professional reading. I'm like, I have this time to, to really engage my mind. Let me, let me, let me start researching things and, and doing things and treating patients when I can. So, you know, it's great to have the support of your loved ones, but you know, you really gotta. You got to get your head in that mindset. So I'm not sure what else to say. Where would you put yourself on the, you know, zero to a hundred or one to one hundred scale? Pessimist, pessimist, extreme pessimist at zero, pure optimist a hundred. So, before this event, uh, where would you naturally fall? Oh, Gary would say I'm a pessimist by nature, right? I wasn't going like to go down to that side, but I would say probably in the middle. So yeah, that's pretty yeah. shocking. I'm a, I'm a glass half full kind of gal, I suppose, right? Or glass so half empty, maybe half empty. All right. So not, probably not at certainly not at the extremes. Yeah, because so. you know, I, maybe if I think pessimistically, then if it's if it's good, I'm like, yay. Because other than going, huh? Oh, that sucks. You know, I don't know. As you described your, your treatment, I was based on how you described it. I was thinking you're going to answer that question um, in the 90s. I know. An optimist. Wouldn't you think? Because no, I, I you say, seemed like that during the, the treatment process. You I were get focused it. on getting getting through it and 
I, th- I think I thought of it as a challenge. I'm like, yeah. ah. I, you know, I, I, think- I ran a 450 mile and I ran a, you know, whatever this marathon and ran a whatever that. I'm going to see if I can do this now. I think it's discipline. I mean, your whole right. life has been disciplined and the discipline got her through this. Yeah. Which I, is I, another thing. But to- it was a challenge. It was a challenge. Because all the doctors are like, oh my God, this is amazing. I'm like, ah, all right. You know, it's another challenge. Can I get to the next level? Can I get to the point where I'm done with this? That, that'd be awesome. So, so that brings up a good point. So where are you now? Are you done? No more chemo? You're... Who like, knows? They never tell. They never tell a stage for any cancer patient that you're healed. Well, right, but functionally, done. like, are you back to normal life? Do you think about cancer anymore? Or do you go to the doctor once a year? Yeah, like, you, you always life? you always think about it because there's always stuff that pops up and going. Oh, is this age? Is it my cancer doing something? Is it? In that well, you have permanent okay. damage. Right. It's never going to get better. And the doctor right. said this: your life is never going to be the same right. after this. Day. So you always want, but every little ache and pain now. And as I get older, I'm like, okay. So the most common um, metastatic site, if you will, for ovarian is your low back. And come on, as a runner and if someone that works out, every little low back pain, I'm thinking. <sighs> so Gary, with your back, you should be checked for ovarian cancer too. Does that make sense? Yeah. I told him to get I his ovaries. So. I mean, I'm not an anatomy oh, expert, yeah. but I'm you know, just saying. But I, I have a, a question that was from the starting. And you know, the podcast has a little bit of a financial undertone to it. You said something, you just skipped right over it. What? You stopped working completely, right? So how would you that, say that that... That's a great, great point that I didn't go over. Right. So I would say I had the I ability ask, to do that. I had the ability to stop work. How did you have that ability? Was there was there well, a habit that you did before that that people well, could learn about, or what did you do? Well, you know, I, Gary was working. So when he's working, and you, you know, when you didn't need my salary per se. Um, well, That's she said for nice. a year, she goes, when are you going to make enough money so I don't have to work? And I was like, if you don't want to work, don't work. But I know you're going to always want to work. Yeah. So, you know, I, I worked, I, I work enough now. I'm, I'm happy with what I'm doing. But um, but at the time, to, to be able to just shut it down, because I was on a lot of um, ovarian cancer forums. There's a lot of forums online um, specific to the um, NOCC, the National Ovarian you know, Cancer Folk. And um, so many women out there, they just, they didn't have the resources and man, did they struggle. Did they struggle and go into debt? And a lot of them couldn't afford the, the treatment or they would go on you know, um, public assistance and they only will allow a certain amount of chemo. It's amazing to me that it's like, oh, you can only have this many sessions and if you're not done, then well, sorry. So in a lot, in a lot of women, um, and you'd see like weeks later or months later, like, oh, what happened to so-and-so? Oh, guess what, she passed away. I'm like, oh, geez. And it's probably because she didn't have the resources. That is sad. So to be able to, I mean, it, it was kind of it was kind of weird. I mean, me and Gary got married a year into my cancer because- After being together for I, I was, 20 years. I was, I was, kind of my, I mean, thing. my yeah. health insurance, <laughs> my health insurance was through the, um, was through the, um, you know, the system in the state. I don't want to say Obamacare, the, um, the uh, yes, yeah. um, it was through that. I'm like, I, I'm not sure how much I'm going to be having to, how to, having to deal out of pocket at some point. And Gary's like, why don't we just get married? You'll get covered. We were engaged for 11 years. She's yeah. like, I don't know if that's a long enough time to, to see if this right. is going to work. So not that I want to say get married for insurance reasons, but hey, we were together for 20 some odd years. So come on. Um, so we got married and that helped too. So that covered things that wouldn't have been covered before. 
So that that was helpful. So to have that time of just have to think about myself and not have to worry about it. Don't get me wrong. I was still doing all the house cleaning. I was still doing all the yard work. Not yeah, I thought mowing. Gary did all that. I did everything. I'm not allowed. Let's be fair. I'm not allowed to. You never offered. Please, please don't uh, get me started. That is false. Uh, Erroneous. You would Erroneous. Ne- you wouldn't know where to food shop. <laughs> you would never know how to cook. I'm not allowed. Well, I'm not good at it, but you would, I'm not allowed would, to. Like, yeah. well, let, me, let me wash the dishes. Either way, no. Either let me way, wash the No. So, I'm like, okay. So I did all the cooking, the cleaning. I didn't mind. I'm just saying I wasn't lying around in bed like a big, like, you know, feed me bonbon lady. <laughs> I was doing, I was doing. I did that for a month after my foot surgery. I'm still milking it even though I'm out of the boot. Like, Jeez. Like, there was a time, <laughs> but there was a time I remember I was curled up on my on my Barca lounger there, coming back from chemo, and Gary tasked me on the shoulder. He's like, uh, are we having dinner? <laughs> and I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. What's a Barca lounger? You know, it's like it's like a lazy like boy. A recliner, yeah. recliner. Oh, recliner. Right? I, I'm going to say that's oh, erroneous as well, but I, I don't <laughs> no, remember. I do, I do, and it's hilarious. I, the cats were on top of me because they were like, oh, I, you know, the cats said something. Gary's wrong. like, come on, it's not like you had 64 you chemo treatments. Yeah, you couldn't even make seven. You, you didn't say it loud. He tapped me and went. Yeah. If I did, I'm sure. What do you want me to buy food? You're like. Do you want me to pick up dinner? Like, I'm not cook. Uh, I just want to know. I just want to know. Do you want me to pick up dinner? It's probably really the way it went. No, 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 no. Because you knew you knew I wouldn't be able to eat. I wasn't able to eat in the beginning. I lost a ton of weight. I was down to almost 100 pounds in the beginning with chemo. Because I, I couldn't. I just couldn't get anything down. But um, are we going to eat dinner? <laughs> so it's very important. I was like, what? We have, we have five, she, we have five minutes she left. She made sure she I'd she like to go there. back to the, the point where, like, right with the diagnosis, you're thinking some not-so-positive things mm-hmm. to within two or three weeks saying, all right, let's do it. I'm game. I see this as a challenge. I'm into it. How did that mindset evolve? Well, once, you, once you're once you in it, then you got to stay in it. Right, but how it, did you change your mind from thinking about what state of I got to move to? Well, the first couple of chemo sessions, I had such a drastic improvement. When, um, when they removed all the blood, um, I made sure all that, uh, in, the, in the abdomen, like before anything started, they had to remove all that blood that was in the way. It was like two and a half liters. I made sure they got it all out. And I felt like 150% better. And the, the the lab tech was like, okay, I think we're done. I'm like, we're not done. So I started, I would I was like doing sit-ups to push the blood out of me. Mm. They're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm, I'm pushing the blood out of me. Because literally, it's like a needle in my side and this big jug and it's sitting on the ground and it was just a really? gravity filled. It was, no, it was no fancy. It was just Jeez. gravity, gravity filled. So you just increase the pressure and by I'm doing this. And I'm washing the yep. blood. And I'm like, oh, okay, we have to change this now. This one's full. And then get the next milk jug. It looked like a milk are you jug. Serious? And I'm like doing setups and then it would start coming out. I mean, this is gross, I guess, but whatever. But when I was done, I felt, and I never had to do it again. Doctor's like, normally you have to do this like three and four times. Like, well, because you, you're not giving it a chance to all come out. So that was, and that right there, I was like, okay, and now I think I can handle whatever's coming at me because when you're full of two and a half liters of blood when you only weigh 115 pounds, ugh, I was like, I, I can't do this. So when, that really changed amazing. my attitude. So, so when are you writing like the book on the how-to, like the or as, as Ed would like to know, where's the ovarian cancer for dummies book coming? The out? ovarian <laughs> cancer for the physically active. Yeah, with everything that you do. shared, Janice, it seems, you know, with your educational background, with you trying to seek, you know, the proper nutrition, trying to seek physical activity, you know, what would you say in terms of speaking to the importance of being your own advocate in terms of going through a diagnosis or a journey uh, like, like this? Like, I'm amazed at how much I had to, had to do myself. I mean, thank goodness I knew where to look. 
I mean, I knew how to look up um, studies and can I get into this group and that group and doing the genetic profiling. A lot of people don't, doctors don't offer that information. So I had to look into all that to make sure I didn't qualify for any studies, which I didn't. That's why I had to go the, the long route. And I'm looking up like side effects and what's this drug gonna do? And I'm the one that stopped the Avast and that was killing my circulation. And and when I stopped, there was no there was no adverse effects. My 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 cancer numbers continue to drop. So you really have to. You you also you gotta speak. Huh? The, um, when you were having the chemo there, and your white blood cells dropped down, they would give you I forget what it was called. Oh, uh, the Nolasta. And you yeah. said it, it's killing you and it's not helping, so you stopped doing. It kept fighting. It was you, helping. But it kept fi- you kept fighting, saying it's gonna come back on its own, and you stopped doing it. I did after a while because I realized if I just play when your when your white bloods drop down to dangerously dangerously low levels, it makes you very prone to infection, very prone to any infection. So you can't go you can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. So they have this drug called Nulasta. They stick a little thing in your arm. It looks like a, it looks like an insulin patch. So it goes into your arm and it kind of feeds this drug over 24 hours and it jump starts your bone marrow to produce white blood cells, and it hurts like a Son of a gun. And they tell you this Where is going to hurt. Where does it hurt? In your bones? All you your feel? bones hurt because it's it's producing white blood cells at a ridiculous rate and your bloods just start to hurt. because. But it would it. spike and then come all the way back down. So he's like, I don't want to do this It would anymore. spike, but then would it come down to a good level. Yeah. But it would normally take you months for that to come back. And you can't afford that when you're con- constantly doing chemo. They wouldn't do another chemo until your blood gets, your white bloods get back to a certain level, the base, base, baseline level. And they did, so I had to do it. And I understood, I didn't want to, but they're like, look, this is, you know, you can't keep doing this if you're not doing that. I'm like, all right. So I had to give in to that one. But yeah, but you gotta be your own advocate and you kinda, you gotta kinda know. But I had a real good feel for my own body. You gotta know what your, how your body is to know what's right and what's wrong. So very quickly, what would you do differently in hindsight? What would you do differently in the whole process? That I don't, you just I don't know, through? probably nothing. Cause here I am, right? So I'm at seven, I'm at seven years. I think I, I think I took, pretty decent steps I use my own intuition you know sometimes you just got to go with your own intuition people out there <laughs> if there's anybody out there um, you uh, just got to you got to trust your judgment and how you feel <laughs> I know Adam just had very, a heart attack very hurtful <laughs> <laughs> so you, you really have to know how you've been you have to if, you know women's intuition is a, is a really good thing and so, lady, you know, people out there, there's no diagnostic test for ovarian. There's nothing out there. So you got to go by symptoms. Not that I'm saying jump to the doctor when you have abdominal pain, but if you're going through um, menopause, some of those symptoms might not, because that's like the primo time to develop ovarian cancer when you start going through menopause. So what is the test? It's a, it's a blood test? No, there is no test. They only will know after the fact. That's why I was stage four. But how do they know? Just if they happen, to, if they have like athletes that get tested often and they take their blood, like some of the like higher level triathletes out there, there's a few women like recently that were diagnosed with stage one and two ovarian only because they were getting constantly blood worked for for like low low iron and low this and low that. And they were like, oh, by the way, your CA125 so, is here. So that's how do you test the CA125 you do You do a blood test, but it's not diagnostic. You have to already have been diagnosed, like at my level now when they do my, my CA, went to, they already knew that I had ovarian so they can use it as a diagnostic. Okay. But you can't use it, you know, they go, eh, it's maybe 50-50 in a general women population. So it's just a flag to follow it's up and sort of do a something flag, more. Right. Yeah. So how did your- But you need other symptoms. You so when, when she was diagnosed, if, if it wasn't our friend who was our doctor, 
Um, it would have probably been six plus more months because he knows that she isn't going to make up any of these pain. You know, she's a tough person. Right, he knew right so away. So he said, I know there's something wrong here. So he is the one who set up to have these Well, he, he knew right away with the bloating, the comment about bloating. So, you, so what you're saying is they have to look for it, right? It doesn't just pop up. Yeah, you have to. You have to, to go do a specific test right. to see it. Right. So but if you start that? to suspect and you start to put on weird amounts of, well, you start, even if you just poke your fingers in your abdomen and if you can almost feel fluid moving around, that's how I'm like, okay, this isn't right. So what, it's a biopsy of the ovary then? Um, they actually biopsy the blood that's in your abdomen because the cells are floating around and they get a number of cells out. And they, they know right away. They're like, yeah, we have all these epithelial cells, and we know that's ovarian. Mm, it's always the epithelials. Yeah. Well, there's, there's, there's three I've different kinds of ovarian cancer. My mind was the most yeah. common, and that's the best, the most that they're going to find in blood that's in your abdomen. So I think there's there's a common theme here of like you know being your own advocate and not living your life you know by accident, right? Right. Taking charge of it, being responsible for either your finances or you know retiring early to follow your your bliss or mm. being your own um, health. health advocate. <sighs> Unfortunately, I agree. It it it's very necessary. And Janice, you had the advantage of a health and, and medical background <laughs> absolutely that most people mm-hmm. don't have. So I, what I do mean, they do? They got to find a friend. They that's find... exactly exactly. I mean. I mean, I mean, anybody can go on to AARP.org. You don't have to be 50 plus to go on to AARP. They've always got people, um, um, physicians you can ask that are standing by that you can ask these these questions to, to go, all right, how do I, how do I approach this legal end of things? It's great. Um, you know, as much as if people blast AARP, they've got some great resources out there for people that might not be able to afford. These are people that are doing stuff for free, like lawyers, healthcare professionals that can answer questions. I mean, I was lucky enough to do it for my parents, but I can't even imagine like like older older folks that don't have somebody in their family that can guide them. That is a rough path. For any, which for is any, why you're going to write the book. Right? There you go. Write well, you did discuss this years ago about doing a book. I know. My sister brought it up. Who's oh, a, that's right. Yeah, she's yeah. an editor. Book, yeah, my blog, yeah, something yeah. to yeah. give people a little motivation right. and guidance. I mean, I was going on these, you know, these, um, these, um, the, these forums and helping out, saying, "Look, I'm a professional. You guys have any questions? Let me know." And I would get, I would get a lot. I got a lot. It's one more thing to do. Can't, can't hurt. Can't hurt to write it all down. There you go. You're gonna need the memoir. There you go. Well, you are even tougher than I thought and <laughs> smarter than I even thought and it's more inspirational. Did you even thought? Is that like a backhanded word? <laughs> I, always, no, I always knew. at all. Thank you. And jo- that's because Johnny's I th- smarter I thank than Johnny. I am. I thank Johnny. I thank Ed. <laughs> Gary not, sometimes. Not Adam, not so much. <laughs> Adam, not so much. But that's okay. Ray, I, I, think, I think Ray's neutral on the yeah, subject, I'm, but I'm whatever. I'm neutral on everything. Thank you. <laughs> what do we call you? Neutral Ray, right? He's, he's Switzerland. That's thank you cool. for your bravery and sharing right. your personal journey. Thank you. Absolutely. You, thanks yeah. for coming yeah. on our, our, yeah. our podcast. All right. Thank you for listening to the Attic Static Podcast. If you like what you heard, please like and subscribe and feel free to leave a comment below. Or come check us out at our website at addictstaticpod.com. And stay tuned for new episodes out every Monday.